Welcome to the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, and on this podcast, we aim to bring you open and authentic conversations and give you the resources to become the hero of your own story. Whether it's a solo session or featuring a special guest, I appreciate your time. Let's get right into today's episode. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. Thank you all for tuning in once again. And today I have a special guest back with us to bring some open, authentic and conversation. Ladies, gentlemen, this is a guest that I believe will provide immense amounts of value in this conversation. He's someone that reached out to me a few weeks back, has his own personal website called The Process Hacker, making it all about making the process more efficient, more effective, and overall making you fall more in love with the process than you could have ever imagined. These are the kinds of people that you want to be talking to, you want to be listening to. Why? Because the back and forth of ideas provides immense amounts of value to help you grow on the journey to become the hero of your own story. So without further ado, let me introduce to you the founder of The Process Hacker, Dev. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great. So give me give the people a bit of an elevator pitch about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I run a blog and business coaching company where I help freelancers and solopreneurs set ambitious goals and achieve them, build powerful habits, and be more productive. Great. So to start off, why don't you talk about your journey into where you are today? Yeah. So for me, like it started, I was in the Navy active duty for about six years and I did a lot of construction projects. And so for me, it was a lot of learning engineering, but also learning project management, how to motivate people. And I got really, so I got to work on, on building shifts, but also in my own job, just hacking my own job. And so for me, it was like, how do I you know, manage my time, be more efficient? And so I just started on this productivity rabbit hole where I was reading books and podcasts and just learning everything I could about productivity. And then I kept talking about wanting to be an entrepreneur, but I never really made it happen. And so one of my mentors, so I was at a low basically about six months later, my girlfriend broke up with me and I was just like, what do I do now? You know, I have all this time. And so my, one of my mentors at work was like, hey, just start a, a blog, just write something. So then I started blogging and naturally I drifted toward productivity, toward you know, living a, a better life. And um, now I'm just working on growing that blog. And that blog turned into my coaching business, which I'm working on now. So it, um, it's been a journey. That was about two, two and a half years ago when I started the blog. Why do you think it is that you kind of oriented directly towards that self-improvement and productivity off the bat? I think it was a couple of things. Like one, wanting to be better at work. Like I always naturally was able to be a high achiever, I guess in high school and college. And then when I got to work, it was just a lot of outside factors and, and a lot of things that I wanted to work at a high level, but I couldn't. And so for me, it was like, okay, I need to figure out how to reinvent myself. And so then... That coupled with a bunch of stress that and like down periods in my life. What's interesting to me is that a lot of people don't talk about kind of that initial fuel. Um, well, they talk about the initial fuel from a breakup, but they don't talk about maybe that period after um, where it's that recovery. Do you feel that during that time you were actively kind of healing from that? Or do you think the turning towards something bigger kind of overall gave you more of a perspective that kind of helped you overcome that breakup? So the breakup was hard. And it's, it's 
it was a journey, right? I think in that moment, I was at such a low and I honestly tried to be stronger than I was because that was my first big like heartbreak and breakup. Like, I mean, like I basically lost the love of my life and um, like who left me and and also we kind of stayed in touch because she moved halfway around the world to work on a different job. And so it was like being broken up and kind of staying with that person. So there's like a navigating this journey of trying to also be the strong man of, Hey, it's not affecting me. I'm going to carry on, but it really was affecting me. And, um, I was putting the energy into the blog and that was what really, like I was putting all that energy, all that, um, time into the blog. And then eventually I decided to start doing therapy because it was like, for me, I was like, it caught up to me where I was like, you can't keep trying to be strong and not dealing with the inner self. Right. So I had to do work on myself. And so it was a lot of reflecting, a lot of delving into my own self as well as like my own, um, personal improvement. So it was, it was all kind of mixed together. Yeah, no, I highly respect going after therapy because I feel like in society, it's so taboo for men to like really seek therapy and seek counseling. What was your experience overall starting therapy? Like what did, what did it affect for you? And as well as what was your experience kind of getting into therapy itself? So therapy for me, like basically I called a good friend of mine and she had gone through a divorce probably a couple years earlier, maybe, maybe within the last three to five years, I don't know. And she was telling me about her journey and how basically like I would do this thing where I was like kind of like I would bury things within me and that's a very Indian very Asian attitude of really trying to bury emotions within you and trying to be strong and stuff and not trying to be emotional and um, it definitely caught up with me and I'd be and I would go to people and I would like vent about stuff, but it was like an emotional like uh, release, right? And so the therapist for me helped me work through all those things and really um, kind of like not keep stuff buried, not let emotion stay buried and healthily, in a healthy way, try to process what I'm going through. And so that was a lot of the journey of like being vulnerable, um, working through the emotions, you know, working on myself and really... Um, just doing something that, and, and honestly, like I thought therapy wasn't for me in the sense that like, you know, like for most people listening, like you think like you're a normal person and Hey, you're not the type of person that might need a therapist. But for me, like I needed a therapist and it took a friend to be like, Hey, like you need a therapist, like go out and find one. And I found one pretty easily, um, through better help, uh, which I recommend, but it was, um, yeah, that's how I started that journey. When it comes to, you had the therapy on one side, were there other ways that you were recovering? So you had the blog, you had the therapy, you yeah. know, was the other one internal reflection? Did you have people alongside you? Um, what were the things that you turned to otherwise besides those two elements? So the other thing that was super key is, is at that point in my life, like I learned the importance of mentors. And so, especially in a business type scenario, as well as a life scenario, is just to that point in my life, I never prioritized finding mentors or finding coaches or like a therapist. And so like, I also met my, one of my business coaches at the, at the time. And that was also like, I got scammed. I got like sold into this like coaching program, like around the time, like I was very kind of trying to find a way. Cause I was like, let me start this business and blog and stuff. And so like, 
uh, like a, one of my business coaches, like mentors helped me get out of that. Right. And so at, at that point of the breakup of the seeking therapy of like the business mentor, uh, in my life, I was like, I need to do more of this where I actively seek out mentors and try to, uh, take their advice and then, and then like, kind of like build that relationship. So that was that point in my life. And I think it was around the fall of 2019, the winter of 2019, um, is when I prioritized mentorship coaches, like, um, that type of person in my life, because I think in, and even if we relate back to life or productivity or navigating any, you know, tough parts of life, cause these things are, are difficult, like relationships, you know, working on yourself, um, confronting things in your past, right? The mentors, therapists, you know, coaches are the ones, if you find the right person that is, you know, cares about your best interest, that's going to help propel you even faster in life. If you can follow their advice and really, you know, like, you know, report back and build that relationship. So that's when I, that was actually key at that time for me. Yeah, no, I've always said that leverage experience where you get from books, mentors, people that have already kind of gone through the process and gone through the steps really helps you because not only do you learn, but you also start making mistakes ahead of their mistakes, almost as if they're a foundation, a stepping stone, um, almost a shoulders to stand on. Because most of the time, these people are more than willing to, to you know, really give you everything they learned because they want to see progression. They want to see that growth. Um, and so I really want to transition this into what for you makes you the most fulfilled, um, in what you do now. So for me, it's definitely relationships and experiences. So for my fulfillment is, is when I can help somebody grow, I can share a moment with someone, share an experience with someone. Um, uh, I'm a big traveler, like, as well as just like connecting with people, like through my coaching or through the clients I serve. So it's, or if it's just helping a friend, you know, navigate a certain part of their life or whatnot. So that's the big thing for me that brings me for film. It's really making that impact on people and then, and then living out experiences. Right. So what does the day to day look like for you? So for me, typically, like I, I do a bunch of groups. So I wake up, do a little bit of morning routine, like some stretching, just drink water, like a little bit of deep breathing meditation. And then I do I have some group coaching calls that I run every morning. And so just working with clients on their goals, on their, um, on their progress from yesterday. And then, uh, if we need to help them like get over any obstacles. And then, um, typically I have like throughout the day after that, it's just either meetings with one-on-one clients, um, like, uh, or just working on the, on the brand essentially, and then put a workout somewhere in the day. So what does this saying mean to you? Yeah. Do you think happiness is like a, a state of being, like a momentary state of being? Mm-hmm. Or do you think happiness is achieved after a certain point? I think it's a state of being, but I think it can also be achieved. But it's but it's also like, I think it's it's a variable thing. Like, I think when I look back at my last career in the Navy, like there's points in my life where I was like at the extremes so happy right and at the extremes like kind of so down and it was it was that at those extremes that I experienced but at this point in my life now because I also I have a remote like business where I also travel a lot my happiness is more overall I'm happier right now I'm like the happiest I've ever been but it's it's more like consistent right like I'm experiencing happiness over a long period of time 
that's consistent and it's not like a high or a, like a like a low period like like spikes like you know what I mean it's more like a a gradual happiness I don't know how to describe that like it's like because I'm yeah. I'm, I'm basically I'm, I'm working on this business I'm doing something that pushes me and then I'm working with people how I want to help and um, I'm also getting to travel at the same time and 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 do all these cool things. I think it's so the way I've seen it is I see happiness as a state. Um, but those levels that you experience, the normality, um, does change. And usually it's almost a direct correlation with the reward system of like fulfillment. Like you're doing things that to you make you happy. You like traveling, you like meeting new people, you like the business that you're doing. So your overall normal level is already much higher, but in any given thing, if you're pushing yourself, but not too much to burnouts and you see the reward, you know, you're also in this state of happiness, which again, you explained. Um, But it is interesting because the more you create the life you want, the more those levels kind of stay in a normal state, Um, especially as you find that balance because the brain likes to be tested, um, but it just overall hinders that initial starting point because it never wants you to be uncomfortable. It wants you to stay comfortable. But happiness is really achieved when you're pushing something more. There's this concept called flow. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The flow state. So flow for me is Mm -hmm. the equivalent to happiness. You know, it's the purity of when you're in that moment of challenging yourself and those, and the brains working together, that's the epitome of happiness. But when you're looking at overall fulfillment, you know, it's directly correlation to almost to a purpose, right? Your purpose is engraved in you. It's instilled in you. And when you're working and walking in your purpose, there's a peace that comes with that. And that peace is a big component of the happiness, which I think you can attest to. No, for sure. It's definitely um, like flow. Flow is like, yeah, whenever you're locked in to like a task or like you're with a person, right? You're in that flow, right? And then with happiness, it's the same of like being kind of, you know, you're kind of like in a, like if you are doing all the things that contribute to the happiness, your happiness meter will be pretty steady, right? It's, um, and I, yeah, I've definitely experienced that. So when we're talking about happiness, did at one point when you were pursuing your own business, did you pursue that idea of happiness? Did you pursue growth? Did you like to challenge yourself? Did you like to be uncomfortable? Um, what were the things that you were striving for? So I definitely was pursuing personal growth and happiness kind of linked in there. I guess I looked at it more like when I was growing, I was definitely getting more excited about things, uh, definitely pushing myself, definitely feeling uncomfortable. Right. And, um, and I was chasing that to some degree because it was like with, with my relationship um, and just like, like not, I knew the Navy was great. Like I loved, you know, you know, my time in the Navy was great, but it was, it was very confining. Like the government is very bureaucratic. It is um, kind of hard to, you know, really be creative in a job. And so I was looking for that outlet of creativity. And I also knew for a long time I wanted to travel the world. Um, and I, I did join the Navy to kind of travel the world, but I, a lot of the jobs I took were domestic. So I didn't never really got to go abroad uh, with, with my job. So there was this part of me that was like, hey, I want to go travel I want to go work on this entrepreneurial creative outlet thing. Um, and so my, I was chasing that. So I was chasing those, that lifestyle that I thought would make me happy. Right. And it is, it is 
bring happiness, but the happiness isn't in the places. It's the experience that you have within them, right? It's the memories you create with people. It's the the conversations you have with people, right? It's not the, the oh, I, I visited this place or, oh, I accomplished this thing. Kind of like we said, it's the process, right? And not about the... The destination's cool for like a couple seconds, but then, you know, um, it's, it's not about that as much. Yeah, so when it comes to talking about the destination, what is your end goal? What are you... Again, you're in love mm-hmm. with the process of your work and you're happy yeah. here with what you're doing, but what is your end destination? What is that big vision and picture? Well, my thing is just trying to keep growing this brand um, because I think a lot of... For me, what I've been seeing a lot is a couple trends. Is like one, like everybody says that their their way of living life is the best or their productivity system or a hack or whatever. And I don't think there's truly one way to live life. I think whatever really works the best for you that's healthy, right? And then also kind of chasing this balance of like, of healthy habits, of like not burning out while pursuing a, a major goal, right? Or, or a, a, like a life's passion, right? Because a lot of times I do know a lot of people, like people I graduated with in school or people like that are, are um, that I know through uh, other, you know, other parts of the Navy or whatnot. It's like they really push themselves to the limit, you know, working really long hours or really trying to achieve like, really big goals and then they burn out right they don't watch their um their health they don't take care of what uh their body they don't eat well right um they don't take care of the stress so it's it is trying to find that balance and and telling people that with the brand that hey you can be productive but also in a healthy way that you're not overdoing it right you're doing what's best for you and you're you're living a life that you can be proud of where you have the control over your world you know, I think focused and shorter work is honestly most of the time more productive. Um, I feel like you can kind of set your limits, um, but you can push past them. So for me, there's two, there's twofold. You know, everyone has their defined limits at this moment, right? They're defined at the moment, um, and they're relative to what you're capable of doing. But there's a degree of pushing past those limits to achieve, and sometimes you do to get burnout. But once you pass push past those limits your brain kind of expands to fill that um, after the initial part. So a lot of times you can test those limits. But in terms of long-term productivity, working towards goals, you know, a system that works that you can be consistent with will always get you further. Like I think the biggest thing is like the gym. Yeah. You go back to like New Year's resolutions Mm -hmm. and people are like, I'm going to work out six days a week, one hour each. And it's like if you're not working out at all and now you're trying to work out six hours a week for six days a week, that is very hard to sustain to someone that doesn't have any of those habits established. But if you say, I'm going to walk 30 minutes uh, once a week, then the next week you do it twice, then the next week you do it three times, then you might say, I'm going to go to the gym 20 minutes for one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, then you increase. And then it's like, you might not have done as much time, but now you have a system in place that's going to carry you. And instead of quitting in February, mm-hmm. you're going to build something that, and eventually, hopefully you fall in love with, you know, for me, like the gym at this point, isn't like, I have to go work out now. Like, no, like it's, it's a workout time. Like let's, let's go get it. Now for sure. I love going to the gym. Yeah. For me, I mean, I work out 
at least three times a week. And uh, if I'm traveling, if I'm at home, it's like something I not, it's a non-negotiable for me. And uh, that's lifting. And then if I'm traveling, I usually do a lot of walking just without even thinking. Like I'll just like check my, I have an aura ring and it just tracks all my steps. And um, so I can see like when I'm traveling, like I get my steps in no problem. If I'm at home, I, I do workouts in my house. So then I, I could take care of the cardio, but it's, for me, it's, um, it's not, it's part of the healthy lifestyle. I feel like people get a warped perception of balance sometimes. Like people will be like, yeah, I'm on a, you know, I'm eating clean. I ate clean all this week. Mm -hmm. Balance. Let me have like a big burger and a bunch of ice cream. And it's like kind of just like mitigates the entire process of what you're doing. I feel like balance is in terms of like the overall roundedness of your focus Mm -hmm. And then maybe you slightly give in to like a vice that you might have, but not over consumption or over, it has to be in moderation and be controlled. Like for, I think the biggest example for me is like, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe you'd like, you work all this entire time, like go read a book that you really enjoyed, or maybe go for a walk or maybe go out and socialize with friends. You know, that social time can really help you gather something, but you can't just like, you know, work for an hour and then just relax for like five hours and watch like a bunch of movies. Like, there's a certain amount of balance in what you're doing. You know, if you're maybe spending 40 hours normally, or if you're spending, let's say someone that has a higher limit, spending eight hours a week working on a business or your job, like balance is you have health to prioritize, maybe a social time. Like that's the kind of balance you need to have because you need to be able to go in different ways, like take care of your health, take care of your relationships, Take care of your personal growth. You know, if you're keeping up with your reading, with your meditation, um, talk to me more about meditation for you and like yeah. your process through it. So one thing I do is like I have a good friend that uh, he actually I get on a call with him once a week and he guides me through an hour long meditation. And so that's like one thing that he's just really good. He used to be a mock and stuff. And so it's like, hey, like once I worked with him, I was like, hey, I want to do this regularly. So That's like one thing I do. And it has that accountability piece built in where it's like, hey, like I'm working with a good friend, um, which I do pay, by the way, because uh, I don't want to like be like mooching off of him. But yeah, like so that's like a standard every week I do that. And then every day I try to do about five to 10 minutes of sometimes it's on my own. Sometimes it's on the app uh, like Headspace. That's the one I use right now. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, I did this program called PQ with a, another friend. Um it's called like mental fitness or positive intelligence. So it's a, it's just another form. I see it as another form of meditation, but it's, it's integral because you do notice a difference where you do calm the mind down. You do get to be more present with people and, um, you gain control over your mind. Like you're not letting your mind, you're not held hostage by your mind, but you do gain that mastery over your mind and your emotions. So it is, it is beneficial and kind of critical when you're, when you're with other people or with, um, you know, with yourself, just trying to, you know, live that. Cause we could talk about health, right. But a lot of people neglect, neglect the mental health piece of it. There's a certain level of connection that one can have with the body. Like when you're talking about health and even fitness, like for people that lift frequently, there's a certain muscle memory correlation where if you're really focused in, in the movements of the weights, you really start to feel like the fibers and the tendons of the body really moving. And it's, and it's in sense of almost a peaceful state to be in 
because your body's struggling to do something, yet your mind is very calm. And I feel like with meditation, um, it's probably the one thing that, you know, I think I'm starting to grow more into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started looking more into like Tai Chi. I wanted like a slow form of like a martial art that kind of also had that spirituality um, sort of meditation aspect. And, you know, I've been starting to try to develop it a little bit before I go to bed. Uh, and honestly, it's very peaceful. Um, but I think something that's come out of that piece is you really work on focusing on clearing your mind. And when there's so much clutter, especially with everything going on, you know, in your personal lives in the world, I feel like that clearance of the mind is very key. Um, so what are some of the benefits that you've had from meditation that maybe someone that hasn't meditated um, wouldn't know about? So definitely what happens, like, so if you're like a busy, busy professional, you have a, a business that's, you know, notification, it's like uh, bombarding you with notifications, calls, you know, your focus is all over the place. I mean, the medication or med- meditation is essentially like calming that down, right? You deliberately spending time with yourself, with your thoughts, with your mind, and just breathing, right? And, and focusing on the breath, like focusing on the thoughts that you're having. And what it does is uh, you're able to really dial in to other people. Like you're able to really have that presence with someone. Um, you're able to like really have that control over your mind that originally you wouldn't have. Like what I noticed is like, so if I'd be on a call like right now, I'd be pretty jittery. Maybe my like head would be all over the place. Like, you know, I would be thinking about 500 things, but after meditating, I can get on a call right now. I, I don't have anything on my mind other than, you know, what we're talking about in this conversation. Um, I'm kind of dialed in. I'm not like bouncing all over the place like crazy. So definitely the mind body connection for sure is there, but it's, it's a, it's an overall benefit of, of calming you down, being, making you more present, quieting some of like the negative thoughts that you might have like, Oh, I can't do this. Or, you know, maybe judgment that you might have of other people. Like it, it also does that where it quiets those demon or like in, um, in the PQ, they call it saboteur thoughts, like which sabotage your thinking essentially. Just like, yeah, talking about sabotaging your thinking, it's so interesting because when you think of how the brain can use one negative thing to ruin so many other positive things like that day like you know you talk about like you might be having a good day and it's 12 o'clock and someone spills something on you or there's a traffic jam or a flat tire and it's like that one thing completely just trashes the entire day um and it's and it's interesting when you start kind of letting yourself be more aware because it takes a power out of that it takes a power um that it has over you like that negativity is very easy to fall into especially when it's like you feel as if you're the victim but once you start you know seeing things in a more kind of laid back relaxed and clear state of mind you're like you know unfortunate that this happened you know let's deal with it and you kind of don't let it take away from the other things in your life um and I feel like it's another important thing to talk about too when it comes to emotions it's like for me the way I've processed emotions is like emotions are one of the most important things that I'll deal with that's, that's a fact, but just because sure. they're important and I have to analyze, deal, label, um, and understand them doesn't mean they have to affect, and I say, you know, a temporary feeling shouldn't affect a permanent decision. 
So my logical and rational thinking when it comes to decisions isn't based on an emotional standpoint, whether it's positive or negative. Um, because of the reason that, you know, again, it's temporary. And also, you know, the rational mind and the gut feeling that I have, I trust it, you know, it's led me to where I am. And I like to listen to it. And so I think it's important that because people get that wrong so much, they're either lead with their head and they're emotional with their decisions. Or they're like, oh, emotions, you know, I hate emotions. I'm just not going to deal with them. I'm just going to sweep them under the rug. And it's like, if you're not in tune with your emotions, then you'll really just screw yourself over because then they influence your head in ways that you don't understand. Um, and what I've learned actually is if you don't label and understand those emotions, they actually hide as your rational thinking and you make decisions based on those emotions that you think are rational. So give me your thoughts on that. No, for sure. I mean, like, a good one, like for me, like I was very judgy. And I think like that's just the nature of living in Washington, D.C. It's a very political, like very judgy city. And then I left Washington, D.C. last July and I would meet people from all over the world or just, you know, like and I was cons I um, constantly getting my worldview challenged because like I stayed in one spot for six years now moving around and meeting people from all walks of life. And my judgment like saboteur or basically like this mental, these mental thoughts of like, hey, that person like, you know, is this way or that way, right? And it's usually a negative perception of someone. And it's like, wow, like you're sabotaging your own interaction with someone before you even meet them, right? Because like, here I am judging somebody who based on appearance, maybe based on something you said, and I didn't even get to know them first. And like, that, like calming your mind down and actually saying like, okay, this is a judgment type thought. Let me actually go meet the person. Right. Or like something goes wrong in your day to day life. Like, I mean today, like I was like basically like just something dumb, like basically my health insurance didn't work for something. And I was like, all right, let me see if I can like figure this out instead of like getting upset and like, okay, something's not going to get covered. I basically like called a bunch of people, just was patient and then took care of the issue, right? So you're able to come through these like obstacles that happen to you, like, and then, you know, kind of step back, think about it, maybe let some time pass and then kind of reframe what you've seen, you know, and reframe the thought. And then you're able to move past it because you are thinking more clearly. And I mean, this happens in work all the time. This happens with you know, people in your life. So it's, it's super beneficial. Um, just that reframing, just, you know, really calling out those negative emotions, calling out those negative thoughts. Um, and then, um, just having that control essentially at the end of the day over your own mind. Yeah, no, that's, that's important. And I want to touch to a point and start into our next segment of, you talked about perception. That was one of the things you noticed, you know, judge people based on how they looked and I am, I'm working on an upcoming episode mm -hmm. called Perception Economics. Yeah. And so it's this idea that, you know, like your perception, like whether you like it or not, you're sending a message. You got that first initial appearance, right? What you're wearing, how you're wearing, how you're dressed, how you're groomed, your hygiene. It sends a message to the other person about the level um, of character and the professionalism of what you do. Um, so before we really start, why don't you start by telling me what's your typical... Um, outfit when you're going out to meet with people. For sure, yeah. I keep it simple. I think when I used to live in Washington, D.C., it was pretty formal. Like, you're wearing a button-down. Uh, D.C. is a very classy city, but now that I'm traveling, it's more of a functional 
fashion where I'm wearing like jeans and like a V-neck or like a button down, uh, but nothing too crazy. Like not, and sometimes in DC you wear suits, but like in the real world, like out traveling, it's like, you know, it's, it's like a casual functional type of style, but, but still like decently groomed, like not like, um, like, you know, hair done, like got cologne on. Yeah. Cause it does matter. Like that first impression you give to someone is super crucial. Like, you know, when they're interacting with you now over time, you can like repair, you know, any damage or maybe you can like get past the first impression, but it is, it is hard. It is not easy. I think even past the first impressions in terms of people that you meet, it's the people that you don't meet. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone, if like, you know, if you're walking somewhere um, and maybe there's someone that would have said like hello to you, maybe they would have been someone like, oh man, like that's a, that's a nice watch. Oh, that's a great fragrance. You know, it's, it's conversation starters. It's putting you into rooms that maybe you wouldn't have been in. Um, and there's a, sometimes people miss that. They, f- they forget that, you know, when you're dressed a certain way, there's, there's a level that comes with that. Um, and, you know, for some people, you don't have to be wearing suits all the time. You know, some people yeah. don't like it. Most people don't like it. Um, but you find a functionality. Like, for me, I like wearing suits. Like Yeah, when I, it's also based on where you are, right? If I was in D.C., like, a suit is perfect, right? Because I used to work and uh, in, in doing, like, political, congressional-type work, too, like, as part of the Navy. But it was just like, you know, you look good, you feel good, you feel confident, right? It, it, having the right outfit also brings that level of internal confidence up. Yeah. Right. But it's also dependent on the context, right? If you're like in DC suit is just normal, right? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good outfit to have on. It it makes you look great. If you're at a conference, same thing. If you're in a different setting where it's like a little more casual, um, it's, it's different, right? It's a different, like a suit would be like, wow, why is that guy wearing a suit? You know? Yeah, no, you have to you have to have a style that adapts to occasions. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like understanding your scenario, though, I'm personally like, you know, you can always overdress if you want to unless you're going to get something dirty. For um, sure, for sure. You know, depending on the personality. Um, but, yeah, no, there is a level to it. And I feel like there's, and I explained this in a previous episode um, of the three male archetypes. Mm-hmm. But when you have, when you kind of see what archetype you are, so I talked about rakish, rugged, and refined. So refined's like, you know, 1% like suits, Wall Street, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, your rake is just kind of like playboy, doesn't fit by the rules, likes to live life on their own terms. Yeah. Um, and the rugged's like, you know, your classic like handyman knows, like, you know, strong, knows how to work with his hands. So you have different levels in terms of refinement in the, in the style mm-hmm. that you stay between. Like a, a rugged guy in terms of refinement might stay between a three and a six. Yeah. He's functional. He might have knitted clothing, um, jeans, something that's durable, heavy duty. A rakish, you know, they vary drastically because they'll combine wacky pieces. Because you think of people that just wear like bold colors, yeah. bold statements. So they usually operate within, you know, a two to, to seven range because they're combining pieces from different categories. Um, and you have like your refined. You have someone that operates between a six and a nine almost daily. So a nine might be like a three a three piece suit, um, if ten's a tuxedo for for example, yeah, for sure. or a, a black tie. Um, but then the six might be you know they're still wearing slacks and chinos, um, maybe loafers or maybe they just have white canvas sneakers um, or white leather sneakers. So you know it's it's levels that you operate in, but that's where you determine like what's your standard because it's still a consistent image, but you're adapting to meet the needs of the situations. 
for sure. And I think for me, I'm like somewhere between like rugged and refined. I mean, I used to be way more refined just living in DC, but because I travel so much now and my work, I'm more of a, like a digital nomad, like not going into business meetings, but my business meetings are more casual. It's having a style that looks good, but it is also practical in the sense that I can go hiking and go out, right? It's like having pieces that fit multiple purposes uh, because you can only carry so much, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to bring a suit, unfortunately, everywhere you go. It's just, it's, it takes up too much space. So, yeah, no lifestyle, career, what you're doing is definitely important. Um, and it's important to understand that, but I feel like there's always a level, you know, I feel like even like, you know, what you saying, like, you know, I, unfortunately I can't always bring a suit. Mm -hmm. What has to be understood is that just because you're not wearing a suit doesn't mean you can't be dressed oh, in sure, a well-presented yeah. manner. And I feel like, you know, I'm like, like, like period, like you can't be wearing graphic t-shirts out or you no, can't be sure. wearing past the, past the knee shorts. Um, just cause like nowadays, man, fashion for guys has just been like, there's the guys that know how to dress. Mm -hmm. And then there's the guys that look like overgrown teenage guys, yeah, it's um like for me, I definitely have like a pair of like of slacks and then um, like a butt like always have a button down, and like I prefer like clothing that's like wool or synthetic just because it doesn't it doesn't have as much of a smell just because like I'm traveling like wool is an amazing item like for button downs or for uh, like shirts or whatever if you're traveling just because like they don't have to be washed as much and they still look pretty good. Um, and I, there's like a company called Wool and Prints that I really like that really focuses on that functional but stylish um, type clothing that really has a long durability and like just like used in those like frequently traveled, frequently like, you know, testing the limits of the clothing type environments. Yeah, no, it's good. I think it's good to have a good balance between functionality and practicality um, as well as the style component of it. Yeah. But no, perception's been been key i think you also notice there's this um there's this kind of idea it's called a suit saturday where mm -hmm. you compare like going out with friends in traditional outfits um kind of what you would normally wear yeah and then the next week and you go out you know you and your friends go out all in suits you know four mm -hmm. or five guys wearing suits to a nice place and you see a level of difference and i think it's interesting too because suits have dropped off almost in popularity for a lot of people, especially with the work from home and the pandemic. Um, but, you know, a, a, a well-fitting suit never goes out of style. And, you know, sometimes the power of the suit is just, it's just nice to have sometimes for some people, you know, yeah. especially if you're not used to wearing it all the time. Like, it's a, it's a very big difference. It makes a huge impact. Oh, and I'll, I mean, one personal story for me. So I've been traveling a lot in Latin America. So going out for me is like button-downs, jeans, or you can do like a or like slacks or slacks with a v-neck like that type of stuff like pretty simple but like it still looked pretty good and like i used to go in mexico city i'll go salsa dancing or other places i'll go and salsa dancing in latin america is pretty casual right it's not like you can wear you just have to wear like jeans you know decent looking shoes and like a button up so you look good but you don't need like you don't, you don't want to be a slob, obviously, but you don't need to wear a suit. Like, nobody wears a suit salsa dancing. Like that's, but then I went out. So Pittsburgh had a, uh, recently just had a salsa, like, gala. Like, it was, a Latin, it was a Latin dance gala. But my friend didn't tell me what the dress code was. So I came there dressed like I was going to some place in Latin America, like in Mexico City, or just all the places I've been to. 
and everybody's wearing suits and tuxedos. And I was like, it definitely showed because I was like, wow, like I had a suit with me. I could have totally, you know, fit the part and it would have made me look, you know, I would have, I would have probably fit into the crowd, but now I kind of stand out because I'm just wearing button up and a jeans, you know? And, and so that's funny. So it is, it does, it does affect, you know, you're in, if, it, it didn't matter because people from Latin America like don't really care. But like what happened, my own internal confidence was down because I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to make the most of it. I just told myself, you know, like this is what happens. Like this is a kind of like that mental talk we talked about earlier. Like this is the scenario I'm in. Let me just enjoy dancing and not worry about what I'm dressed. But it does, it does matter. What I've noticed for me, it matters more to me internally than it matters, but it also has that external perception to other people, right? You are giving off that vibe. So. No, that external perception is something, but no, that is a huge component is that internal. Because what people have to understand is that once you feel good, once you're confident in that appearance that you're presenting, even with smells, one of my favorite reasons that I'll tell guys to wear cologne, it's like, you know what? I don't care if anyone likes it or compliments it. Like, if you like the notes, if you like the smells, if you like how it makes you feel, you're automatically going to walk with that ounce more of confidence. Oh, for sure. And when you have that ounce more of confidence, whether it's from the style or the cologne, it shows. It it really shows. You're attracting a different kind of energy and you're walking like, man, I look good. I feel good. Oh, I smell, smell good. good. For sure. Yeah. Like people, like women care a lot about smell. And so... Even for me, now that I travel a lot, I purposely went to Amazon. This is like a good hack for people who travel. And I bought those like really small, like you can also get them from the subscription companies, but I bought those small. Scentbird is one yeah. of the subscription companies and then it's called vaporizers or diffusers. Yeah. So I bought one of those and then I just poured my cologne, my big bottle, which is not great for travel into that thing. And now I can smell good anywhere and you could, it's a carry on, right? And it's, so it does matter because I do. You do, it, that is probably like a big deal. Like if someone doesn't like your smell, like they're definitely not going to be attracted to you. Like, especially oh, for yeah. women. Yeah. So. Yeah, no bad, bad body odor. I mean, if you got bad body odor, like that, that's, that's like bare minimum. Like you can't have yeah. that even if you don't smell like anything. Um, the other thing too is like, don't overdo it. Like colognes are oh, for sure meant to be subtle. You know, you only need depending on the fragrance, one to three. Yeah. Um, if you have like a parfum, that's the, I mean, You'll understand it more once you get into it, but mm -hmm. like I'm talking to the listeners, not you. I think yeah, you for understand sure. Yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. well. No, I get um, it. But when you're talking about having, you know, a parfum, something that's very strong mm -hmm. that has like projection rate, you know, you might only want one. And then it also depends on the scenario too, because um, I feel like a lot of people think colognes are all the same, but then you have like a spring fragrance or like a light blue from Dolce and Gabbana, mm -hmm. then you might have like a Versace Eros, which is like extremely potent. Um, per spray comparative to, oh, you know, yeah. a spring fragrance, which usually are when they're lighter fragrances, they don't last as long, but the projections less, but no, I think, no, the confidence is huge. Like, I mean, yeah. I honestly just like, I just like nice smells. Like I have, I have a carbon diffuser right here. Yeah. Um, nice. and this one's like got notes of like grapefruit and iris and sandalwood. And so it's always smelling good. Um, oh, for sure. And even if you're like, if you're having women over, like candles are perfect. I love right? candles. Yeah. Man. Cause it's like, like smells are, smells matter. Like when I throw parties, um, it's been a while, but I'll put a candle in the bathroom easy. You know, it's just, 
it adds a little bit of ambiance. It adds a good smell. And even the big thing about smell, too, is like if you smell good and you have cologne on and the guy next to you doesn't, you're yeah, automatically you're automatically like, like a level that. Higher, yeah. yeah. So it's and and the other tip that I would give like for cologne is like um, like if you go shopping with a girl, like they'll help you pick out a cologne. Like that's perfect because you know what they like, and if you if you like it right, if you like it and they like it, then you're in a win. It's a yeah. Give give your top five fragrances. So for me, like I use um, uh, Aqua de Gel. Um, and then I have some unique ones. Um, so I think it's called Paradise something. But then like uh, Burberry Brit Rhythm. And then like uh, I only have a couple. So I don't have that many. It's just like uh, so those are like a couple I like. I know um, there's a lot of influencers coming out with their own lines now. So it's uh, but some of them I, I don't know where I get like they just don't have a name on them. So I have a couple where I'm like, okay. But Aqua de Gel is like a go-to. I know that's like a pretty cliche uh, one, but it's just, it works. It smells good. Yeah, I'll give mine. I think I have some over there. Yeah. Um, fall, winter, I've always liked mm-hmm. Dolce & Gabbana, the one for men. Always been a good scent. Um, the popularity of it's fading a little bit now, so I would maybe hop onto it because it was overhyped for a while, but Blue de Chanel is a classic. Nice. Um, Dior de Sauvage is good, but it's so popular that mm-hmm. you'll smell like the guy next to you. If he's wearing cologne, it's like 60% chance it's Dior yeah, Sauvage. Yeah, that's like my problem with Aqua de Gel. So I have to go, I think I need to go back out there and, and buy some new colognes, you know? So. Yeah. You want to get something that, that something that maybe was trending, um, but isn't the hype right, right now yeah. or something that just you really enjoy. So um, the important thing to understand is that you have fragrances for different occasions. So you have your everyday fragrances, you have date night fragrances, and you have office and you have going out fragrances. So, you know, if you're going into the office, you want something light, something fresh, something clean, like a prod alone. Mm-hmm. If you're going out on a date, maybe add some rose, add some patchouli, add some cedar wood, even leather, because um, those scents are more seductive and attractive. Um, in a more intimate setting. If you're looking at an everyday fragrance, you can either go for something light or if it's later in the day and it's maybe winter months or fall months, go with something that might have sandalwood or it's a little darker like your Hugo Boss, Mm -hmm. Dolce & Gabbana's um, darker ones. Even Victor & Ralph has Spice Bomb, which to me is one of my personal ones. And the last one would be going out. You know, you want something that that's sweet, that's attracting, but yet it's, you know, it, it creates different notes of subtlety. Um, and then the last thing to understand with fragrances is that it changes. As the fragrance you wear it, the different notes come out because you have three layers. So the top notes fade, then the mid notes, then the base notes. Um, that's one of actually the preferable things that people talk about with Creed. Yeah, is Creed, it's very Creed is fruity. another one I've had, actually, yeah. Creed is... Excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's like fruity, but then it fades into this more like mellow, dark, um, just powerful scent. But yeah, no, Creed does a great job. What's what's the one you wear the most? Definitely like uh, definitely Aqua de Gel. It's like just yeah. my go-to. I, I I have like I think what the mistake I make is like that was the first one I bought, and I bought like the really big bottle, and that's like and like just in my head, I'm like I gotta use all this. So those bottles last a long time if you don't like go overboard. And so now I'm just like, 
almost out of it. But yeah, like I have a, the next time I bought fragrance, I was like, okay, I need smaller bottles. But yeah, that's they like try to you know like when you're like buying, you're like, oh, if I buy like this many ounces, you know, it's much because, more cost effective when you buy yeah. the big one. But it's also it takes a know. while to eat through that fragrance, and so I, I think that's the no, appeal of Scentbird, where you can get a new fragrance on subscription. Like, and then kind of like choose what your preferences are in terms of like, hey, I'm looking for something light. I'm looking for something more fruity or something more like fresh. Right. And so now I'd be maybe I should I probably will try out one of those companies, too, because, you know, it's just kind of it is changing it up, too, which is fun as opposed to going with someone kind of standard and kind of dull. It's dull. You know, it gets dull over time. So, no, it definitely does. Um, All right. So. To kind of get to our last talking point for today, let's talk about accountability. Let's talk about putting in the work and let's talk about how do you make the process more enjoyable. So we'll start with accountability. How do you hold yourself personally accountable and how do you hold yourself or how do you have others hold you accountable Um, and how do you hold others accountable? So accountability is one of the keys to productivity. Like it's because honestly, like, it's not worth doing any sort of thing worthwhile in a vacuum. Like you really want to have other people celebrate your accomplishments. Um, and so there's, I think there's a couple different types of accountability, right? There's that mentorship level accountability of people who are like your therapists, your teachers, coaches, um, mentors that are kind of pulling you along. Like they have this, you know, they're, they, they're the people that you look to for knowledge, for advice when you're, you know, you're at a big problem in life or just need help trying to get to that next level. And they hold you accountable because, okay, if you're going to, one of the tips for mentors is if you're going to take advice from a mentor, uh, follow it and then report back on your progress because a mentor wants to know, a coach, therapist, whatever, they want to know that, hey, I gave this person advice, that person is now taking action on it and they're succeeding right so that's the most critical probably people that in my life that i've consciously built you know um to hold myself accountable like uh, shack calls this like a personal board per se like when you're having big decisions and then kind of at your level there's like peers and and like kind of supporters like a peer is like someone who is probably like similar to you like intellectually and this whole model comes from charlie Gilkey's books start finishing. So it's like other entrepreneurs, like people who I, you know, I'm in a mastermind with people like you, like kind of at your level that, you know, you can bounce ideas off of, you could again, troubleshoot issues, but you're challenging, you're challenging each other. Kind of like if in our coach analogy, this would be like your teammate, you know, like kind of like helping you through a big, you know, thing or just help keeping you accountable to a goal. And then you have supporters, which are like, people who are like your audience, people who kind of like spectating, watching you, cheering you on, like they're not going to provide you with um, like value in terms of like maybe like giving you the right advice, but they're going to support you in your goal. Right. And then lastly, you have your mentees or your, I guess your audience. And um, when I think of like supporters, I think of people like your family and your friends that probably aren't in your business like they don't understand business but they can say hey like you know great job and then you have your audience like people like your readers your clients people that rely on you and so you're being held accountable now because like oh you got to put that blog post out you got to put the podcast out um 
And so that those are like the four, I, I'd say, different types of accountability. And when you have all of them working for you, like there's not any goal that you can't accomplish because now you have people kind of pulling you along, people that you can mastermind with or kind of you like use their brain power, people who are going to support you and then people who are going to benefit from you doing your best work, right? So um, that's that's like the like accountability uh, as the way I see it. I think accountability is everything, you know, yeah. even just on the personal level, like if you don't hold yourself accountable, mm-hmm. um, and even if you can't, if you don't have others holding you accountable, you're not going to get what you want done. You know, you For have sure. to follow through. Um, you have to be able to work and you have to be able to have those people that are going to have your back when you don't feel like doing it. Or even if it's yourself, you know, you have to be able to say, you know, maybe I don't feel like doing this right now, but this has to get done. You know, I can't put this off, you know, we're what's we're in may now like if you had new year's resolution that you never even touch like Mm. we're halfway through the year like it's not the time is now you know the best time to play the tree was 20 years ago yeah the best time or the second best time is now you gotta get started gotta get started yeah i mean accountability especially with humans and like one of my mentors calls this a human forcing function like all great things in the world like happened with other people holding you accountable, like other humans, like whether it's a, your, your, li- your personal trainer, it could be a lifting buddy. It could be, um, the team at work that is holding you accountable, your manager at work. Right. So when, when you're held to the, the task or the, the goal or whatever by other people, other humans, right. You're gonna, there's something in you that just wants to get that work done. Like when you have, when other people are relying on you to get the work done. No, absolutely. Um, what would you say to, um, to really get that process going? Like how do you create a process that works for you? How do you make it personalized? How do you make it sustainable? So the first thing about creating any process is just doing the work. And I know that sounds really simple, but like people will come to me and be like, Hey, I need a sales system or I need a, a system for responding to email or whatever. And it's like, the first thing you got to do in that situation is just start making sales or just start responding to your emails. And over time, you're going to figure out, okay, what do I like doing? What do I not like doing? What works well for me? What doesn't? Maybe you read up on best practices on how to do something and you'll develop that system over time or that process over time. And then you follow it, right? So, Or you could follow somebody else's process. So maybe you want to start doing something, working out and you just like look up a workout program. You're now following another person's process, but you could also just still go to the gym and just build the habit of, let me just get to the gym every day and start you know, running or biking or whatever, maybe lifting. Um, but then you follow, over time you're like, oh, now it'd be better to follow a process for lifting or maybe I'll hire a trainer. And that's how everyone progresses because um, I think it's just a matter of doing the action first and then trying to design the process or fit a process to it later. Because first thing is just starting and doing like, kind of like you said, like the now is the time, right? No, absolutely. You kind of have to, you have to get started. You know, you're always going to be able to perfect something, um, in a sense of making it better. And you don't get to that point without starting. You know, there's always going to be time to, to correct your mistakes, but you won't, you won't learn from every, anything until you get started. You have to take that initial step. And I think another key point to that is you have to jump before you're ready. You have to 
take that leap of faith because you're never fully going to be ready. And you're fooling yourself if you believe there's going to be a day where you're going to be completely ready to take a chance on an opportunity. But it's not that case. Do your prior research. Understand what you might be getting into. But understand there's going to be uncertainties. But realize that you will be the person that's going to deal with the uncertainty. And if the uncertainty takes you, you're going to be the person that overcomes what happens and that challenge that happens. And you grow better for it. So really be almost passionate and enthusiast, um, enthusiastic about going into Uncharted Warners and becoming something that you weren't before. For sure, yeah. I mean, the book um, uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins is like the perfect example of this. It's um, just feeling comfortable being uncomfortable. Like when you come to, and I mean, especially being able to travel now and being able to experience a lot of new things, it's like trying that new piece of food Um, trying that new activity, right? Like, I mean, everything is unknown to you, you know, until you do it, right? It's always going to be like, you're not, you know, like every activity, every like endeavor that you might go into is, it's going to be a question mark until you actually take that first step, take the leap, you know, just try it out, feel it's going to be uncomfortable, but then you'll be like, oh, it's not that bad. Or maybe it's like, oh, I got to do this now, right? It's like, once you get into it, you know what you need to move forward or if you like it or not, you know? Absolutely. And so before we get to our last point, where can people find you at? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. So I am at the process hacker on Instagram or theprocesshacker.com. And right now, I mean, I work with, you know, I, I have a newsletter. I also like blog and I also work with clients like either weekly or uh, bi-weekly so if you need help just reach out and i would love to help you sounds good guys gentlemen let him know what you enjoyed about the episode make sure you check out his page check out what he has to offer um and so for our closing point today let's talk about what have you done and what have you found that makes the process of every day towards working towards your goals more enjoyable definitely for me it's not doing it in a vacuum right like sharing your progress with other people um, actually seeing the impact of your work, you know, coming alive, right? So not working in a vacuum, like sharing with other people, sharing experiences, sharing the process, even if you're an entrepreneur, or you're a solopreneur and you work by yourself, like telling other people about what you're doing and why you love doing it or like, that's for me, what makes it worthwhile. It's, it's sharing that journey with other people. Great. Yeah. My closing message to you gentlemen is that you know, in a hero's journey, you have to have those alongside you. You have to have those people around you because no hero, no story, you've ever heard someone that they did it alone. Find people, find mentors, find people that are in the same spaces as you and use them to build together. You know, it's a win-win when you have people that want the same destinations in their own lives to be better, to become better, to become those heroes of their own stories. So gentlemen, as always, chase excellence chase a better you and chase the you from tomorrow. That's it for today. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode. Reach out to us at www.thegentlemansatlas.com and tell us what you'd like to see next. Your support is greatly appreciated and see you in the next episode.